Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to be focused on today. We've been journeying through a uh, series leading up to Easter, simply called The Road to Calvary. The Road to Calvary. And what we're focused on are all the major events that Jesus uh, had during his last week uh, on earth as a uh, human being before the cross. And so we're focused today. This is part three. And I, I want to talk about this event that happened with Judas and Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I feel like the Lord wants to speak to us as a church about this topic of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. In betrayal. Everyone say betrayal. Forgiveness in betrayal. There's something about forgiveness that everyone can partake of, but it's cuts straight to the core when you're for, when you are hurt or offended or wounded by someone that you love, that you trusted. There's something about being betrayed that really will cut you to the core. It's one thing if someone down at your job kind of does you wrong or cheats you out of money or rips you off. Or, but when your friend does it, that hurts a little more, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start reading at verse 47, and certainly we could have uh, plenty of time in the Word, but we're going to take these few verses here and focus our attention uh, this morning. And the Bible says, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer, this is Judas, had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Verse 50. But Jesus said to him, notice what he says, Friend. Everyone say friend. Friend, why have you come? Now, at first glance when we're reading through this, it might seem as though that Jesus using this word friend was because he was unaware of what Judas was getting ready to do or what his plot against him was. It might seem like he was a bit naive to the intentions of Judas. But if you've spent any time in the Word or any time studying Jesus, you know that there's nothing that's beyond Jesus' gaze. He was God in the flesh. He was not surprised by what Judas was coming to do. In fact, he knew Judas was coming long before Judas knew he was coming. The night before at the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that he told the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. In fact, it's the one that dips his bread in the, in the, in the, the, the dip, the, the type of some sort of oil or some sort of thing that they were eating. He said, when, when you dip the bread with me, that is the person that's going to betray me. Jesus knew about Judas' intentions even before Judas did. He knew it was coming. He, he already had it uh, figured out. He was not surprised. And so what, what, what gets me is this response of Jesus when he comes, when Judas comes to betray him. Something to think about, I suppose, if we were just teaching through this is 
why it was that Judas had to come or the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had to come at night in this particular moment. The truth of the matter is, is that the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead for a long time. They had plenty of opportunities. It's not like he was hiding. He was teaching in the temple, in the synagogues. He was uh, teaching on the streets, doing miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not that he was hiding out, no. But what they needed was a secluded place not to cause an uprising. So they had to get someone that was close enough to Jesus that would know precisely where he would be at a specific point in time they had to get someone in that inner circle, someone that had trust, someone that was a friend. And what's so incredible to me, and so much to say here, but the Bible says in a few verses earlier that Satan, in Luke 22, 3, the Bible says that Satan entered Judas, and from that moment on, he sought for a way to betray Jesus, to find a moment to sell Jesus out for those 30 pieces of silver. And I want to stop right here and just mention it is always the work of the enemy to convince us that Jesus is not who he says that he is. Did you follow that? It's always the work of the enemy to convince us that Jesus it's not who he says he is. If Jesus says, I am the healer, the enemy wants you to think that he's not the healer. If he, if he says he's the comforter, the enemy wants to think, no, no, he's not, the, he's not where you should go for comfort. If, he, if, the, if Jesus says, I'm the way maker, the devil will try to make us think that there's no way out. Whatever Jesus says, the devil is constantly working against that. And I want to tell someone today, my God is the healer. My God is the way maker. My God is the provider. My God can make a way where there is no way. Through the path of the sea, he can make a way out of that situation and that problem. No matter what the devil says. But notice, the scripture says that Satan entered Judas. What does this mean? It means that the motive of Satan entered Judas. The thinking of Satan entered Judas. Judas, the desires and the vision and, and all that negative uh, spirit entered into Judas. This is another reason why you and I, we need to guard our hearts. Guard our heart, guard our mind, because we want nothing from what Satan is trying to put into us. We don't want the system of the world. We don't want the thinking of the world. We want only what God thinks, God says, and what God wants for our life. And we have to, hear me today, we must be on constant lookout and constant guard for the attack and the thinking and the philosophy of the enemy. Because it comes in all shapes and sizes. It comes through social media posts comes through Netflix documentaries. It comes through the news. It comes to a magazine on the shelf as you're checking out. The, Satan's devices and his motives and his operation of thinking tries every which way to enter us into our minds, into our thinking, into our philosophy. We have to guard. Everyone say guard. We have to guard our hearts. I'm talking to someone today that you have not been guarding your heart. You don't want to know why I know? Because you're bitter. That, that bitterness has entered into your spirit. You say, oh, Pastor Mike, who are you talking about? I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just throwing it out there. 
What do you know about me? I don't know nothing about you. I'm just throwing it out there. Just can feel it in my spirit right now because the reason you're suffering in that way, the reason why you're frustrated with where you are in life or your relationships or how, like, your relationships with people, you've allowed everybody to just run amok in your life. As, as the Proverbs wrote, a man that cannot control his spirit is like a city without walls. People just come and go into your life and take control of your emotions and you have nothing to say about it. Why? Because there are not proper guards up in your life. You're exposing yourselves to everything in this world. I'm talking to some, I'm talking to a church that we need to guard our hearts. From what? From anything the enemy would try to slip in and deceive us from any spirit of doubt or fear or anxiety or lack of unbelief. We, we have to choose faith over all the unbelief that's in the world. We need to choose Jesus over everything else. And we have to be diligent. The Bible says in Proverbs to be to diligently guard. He says, guard your heart with all diligence. That's how it says it. We need to guard our heart with diligence every single day, making sure that nothing gets in, that nothing distracts, that nothing throws us off our course. Why? Because otherwise we'll end up just like Judas. The Bible says that Satan entered his heart, Satan's motives. Satan's thinking, Satan's philosophy, Satan's ideologies entered his heart, entered his spirit. And all of a sudden now the decisions that he makes are not based on what God said or what Jesus said or what the word said, but it's based on what he thinks. There's sometimes you get God thoughts. Anybody ever get a God thought before? Like you're going, going to your work or going at, at school and you think, man, I should, I should witness to that guy over there. I should, I should invite my neighbor to church or I should ask him if he wants a Bible study or, or something like that. Those are God thoughts, you know. Then you ever have those other thoughts that you know don't come from God? <laughs> like someone cut you off on the way to church this morning and it wasn't a God thought, you know what I mean? <laughs> what if I just run, you know, if I just tap his car a little bit, you know. That's never, that's never came to my mind, but, you know, those aren't God thoughts. You need to guard your heart, guard your mind. Paul said to bring every thought captive, to bring every imagination captive. You can control what you think about. Did you know that? You can control what is taking up residence in your mind. You can control what you're dwelling on and what you're thinking about. And this is where Judas was, that Satan entered into Judas, that Satan's motives, his thinking, his desires entered into Judas. But I didn't come to preach about that this morning. But I just felt like I needed to say it for a little bit. The most amazing part of the story, however, wasn't that Judas found out exactly where Jesus was, but the most amazing part of this story was the response that Jesus gives when he sees Judas, knowing what he's there to do. He calls him friend. He says, friend, what have you come to do? Only three times this particular word, friend, is used. Only three different times in the Bible, companion, brother, brother. Friend, 
Friend has many variations in the Greek language, but in this case, it only comes up three different times. And in every time, it's always spoken from a righteous person to an unrighteous person. There's something unique about the fact that even though Jesus knew what Judas was there to do, it didn't change the love that Jesus had for Judas. Think about this for a moment. He knew he was there to betray him. He knew he was going to sell him out. He knew he wasn't a real friend. How many know what a real friend looks like? Some of you know what a not-so-real friend looks like. Not-so-real friends don't really care about the best for you. Real friends care about where you're supposed to be going in life, about getting closer to God. The Bible says the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, meaning they come in, you think that they're a friend, but they're really not. The kisses of the enemy, people that uh, uh, flatter you with words and, and, and act like they're your friends. But the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? It means that your friends will tell you what you actually need to hear. Friends will tell you the truth. Friends will, will tell you what you need to know, not just what's going to make you feel better. Well, all right, I'll leave that alone for now. We, we need to surround ourselves with friends, real friends, people that care about our lives, our future, our eternity, where we go. If you're here this morning because someone invited you to church, you should thank God because that's a real friend. Someone that's encouraging you to stay in the church, that's a real friend. Someone that's encouraging you to pray more and seek God more, to love God, that's a real friend. They care about you. They're not judging you. They want to see you go to heaven. Why is it when people say things like, hey, you should really do this or let me help you do this, we think they're being judgmental. I want people that will speak into my life that care about the decisions that I'm making, that care about the way that I'm taking. I, I'm not interested in the kisses of an enemy. I'm not interested in people that just want to be close because they see a relationship of something they can get out of the relationship. They don't care about what they put into the relationship. They just want what they can get out of it. Friend, that's not a real friend. Church, that's not a real friend, yet this is where Judas was. All he saw from Jesus was, what can I get from this situation? Now, I've preached before, that's not where he started. The Bible says he became the traitor. He became this person that would sell Jesus out. But in this moment, all he saw Jesus for was 30 pieces of silver. That's not a real friend. I said, that's not a real friend. The Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, the person that will tell you what you need to know, the person that will tell you, hey, you got, you're, you're screwing up your life, man. You're, you're making a mistake. Friends tell you what you need to know. Friends tell you what you need to hear. Why? Because they love you. And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not always going to like my messages. They might leave you feeling uncomfortable from time to time. I'll just be straight with you. I'm not, I'm just gonna, I have to be honest because I can only preach what this says. And there's plenty of times in moments in life that this contradicts this. You hear what I'm saying? That what this says 
is contrary to the way that I and you and we live. And so something's got to give in that scenario. So when we preach this, we're going to get uncomfortable from time to time. But that is because God wrote this and he loves us too much to let us keep going down that path. It's not judgmental. It's love. It's not criticizing you. It's love. It's not saying that you're not worthy. No, no. It's saying you can make it and you can get to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I need the word of God in my life. I need preaching in my life. You say, well, you're, you're preaching. I listen to preaching probably more than anyone else here. You can ask my wife. I listen to preaching all the time. Why? Because there's something special about the preached word of God. You can never get enough of the word inside of you. You can never get enough of that preached word inside of you. The Bible says that we are saved by preaching. And and the word of God, God has given us his word because he truly loves us. It's how we are going to make it to heaven. We can't get bitter. We can't get angry about the word, about what it says. We can't get frustrated that somehow it's too hard and I can't live that way or I I don't want to change that or I'm comfortable right here. I've said it before and I'll say it plenty of times that if preaching doesn't make you comfortable, then it's not really, or I'm sorry, if preaching doesn't make you uncomfortable, then it's not really preaching because this word's designed to make you uncomfortable. It's designed to produce change and change can be painful. What's that old adage about the gym? Brother Chris, no pain, no gain. What does that say? Something like that. <laughs> Go to the gym, you're going to experience pain. Sometimes a lot of it. need more of that, you know. <laughs> what is that? It's growth. It's discipline. It's, it's getting stronger. It's expanding. It's, it's, it's broadening that tent. It's moving forward. It's going to come with some growing pains. It's going to come with some stretching. It's going to come with some being uncomfortable. But, friend, that's the only way that you and I grow. Everyone say grow. Sometimes growing in God is just, it's not going to be just roses and plush pillows. No, no, no. There's going to be some trials. You're going to have to climb some hills. You're going to have to go through some valleys. There are going to be challenges. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be things you have to go through. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. In this world, you will have tribulation. uh, But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. What is he saying? He means, yes, it's going to get rough. Yes, it's going to get tough. But don't be afraid because I'm with you. And I've already conquered that mountain. You stick with me and you're going to make it if you do not quit. You're going to make it. Praise God. Let's get back to our, our, our message today. I always say I get off topic. I just feel like God leads me. Jesus calls him friend. Why? Because even though he knew what Judas was there to do, even though he understood that Judas was there to betray him, it didn't change how Jesus felt about him. Because this is the fact. This is the fact. Matthew chapter 4, sorry, chapter 5, 
verse 44, Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He said it like this, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. For Jesus, forgiveness in betrayal was the only right response. Did you catch that? Forgiveness in betrayal was the only right response. Jesus couldn't get bitter. Jesus couldn't have had some sort of retribution. If he does, he ceases to be the perfect lamb. You and I, we're, we're flawed. We're sinners. We, you know, someone betrays us, we get mad, you know. Now, now, let me just say this. It doesn't mean that he didn't get hurt. Hurt is not sin. I'll say it again. Hurt is not sin. You getting hurt by something is not wrong. You know what hurt tells me or tells us? That you're human. We're human. We're going to experience pain. We're going to experience hurt. We're going to be uh, 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 persecuted. That's going to happen. Hurt doesn't equal sin. However, your response to that pain is what matters. See, like Jesus, I, I, I am positive that he was hurt. I'm positive that he was felt pain by that betrayal. I'm sure it wounded him deeply, probably even more than the cat of nine tails on his back was the betrayal of a friend. How many know sometimes friends that betray you hurt a whole lot more than anything else? Sometimes you'd rather just have them punch you in the face than betray you. Because those wounds, man, those things cut deep. They cut deep. But watch Jesus' response, knowing exactly what he's here to do. He sees the multitude. He sees the soldiers. He's not, you know, he knows what's going on. Yet he still calls him friend. He says, friend, what are, you, what, are you, what are you here to do? Friend, what's going on? And, if, and, and just in case you think somehow this is a one-off for Jesus, that this is all he did, never did it again. While he's hanging on the cross, while they're mocking him, making fun of him, saying, oh, you're the son of God, why don't you call on the angels to save you? Making fun of him, mocking him while he's naked on the cross. Yes, he was naked. It wasn't like the movies, they show like a cloth. No, no, he was, he was naked on the cross, dying, suffocating on his own blood. Only had a few words that he could even speak. Seven things the Bible records that he spoke from the cross. And one of those things, you know what it was? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could only grasp for a few words. And one of those phrases that he went for was, Father, forgive them. This wasn't a, a one-time thing for Jesus. And let me just say it like this. Forgiveness for us won't be a one-time event either. 
It's not just going to be, okay, I forgave one time and then I'll feel better. No, no. You're going to wake up the next morning still being in pain, still being hurt, still being bitter, still being offended, still feeling that cut to the quick. You're going to have to forgive every single day. Hear what I'm saying. It's an everyday thing. It's not just going to be one time and done. You're like, why don't I feel better? I already forgave. No, friend. It's going to be every single day. But I can tell you this. Every day that you do it, every day you put it back under the blood, every day you cast those cares on Jesus, it's going to get easier and easier every single day. Till at one moment, you're not even going to know when it happens. Hear me. You're not even going to know when it happens, but one morning you're going to wake up and it's going to be like it happened, but it's like it happened to somebody else. It was such a long time ago. So much water has passed. I've been so healed. I've been touched. I've been delivered and it's changed. I'm not the same person, but that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen with just one moment or, or one prayer saying, God, I forget. No, no, it's a consistent every day, every day. And you got to keep putting it on the altar saying, God, I don't let that bitterness get in my spirit. God, don't let me be bitter over that. Let, I pray you purify my heart, my mind. You say, well, I didn't even do anything wrong. Absolutely, you probably didn't do anything wrong. That doesn't stop bitterness from getting in. It doesn't stop that unforgiveness from seeping in. It doesn't stop resentment from taking hold. So what are you trying to say today, preacher? I'm saying this, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. This is the message for the day. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you. What mind? That, that fact that I love, I can forgive even in betrayal, that I've made up my mind that I'm not going to be bitter. Bitter at what? Bitter at lies, lies that people tell about me, bitter at situations in life, and I feel to say this right now, bitter at myself for choices that I have made. Did you know that just like you have to forgive other people, you also have to forgive yourself? So many people carry baggage of self-loathing, meaning frustrations of things that we did in our past. And we can never, some of us, can never get past our past. Never get beyond what we've been through. Somehow we never allow God to see and show us what he truly has for our lives because we're so stuck on what we used to be. Somehow we cannot allow that, that I'm calling it bitterness because I sincerely think that you can be frustrated and bitter at yourself. Did you know that? Sure you can. You can be frustrated about decisions that you've made. And harbor that unforgiveness. And I believe that God is trying to get a hold of somebody at Life Church that it's time to move forward. It's time to allow God to do something special with you. Yes, we've made mistakes. Yes, we've been hurt. Yes, we've gone through valleys. Yes, we've gone through dark times. But it's time to move forward. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He's still in charge 
we got to learn to forgive for people that hurt us. We've got to learn to forgive ourselves. But then there's another thing that God spoke to me this week. He said another facet of forgiveness is you got to learn to forgive someone that didn't do anything to you but did it to someone else. You know what's always so curious to me is that sometimes it's the danger of gossip too, you know. We find out about something that was done to someone else, we get bitter. And the other person didn't. <laughs> we carry the baggage for somebody else. And you get frustrated that other person's not angry. This happens in the story, did you know? There was this guy named Peter. And during this moment, in this moment, Judas is there. He kisses Jesus. Jesus like, what are you here to do, friend? And the guards immediately seize Jesus. You know what Peter does? He wakes up. He's like, whoa, what's going on here? You know what he does? He grabs a sword, the Bible says. It says, basically what he's saying is, Jesus, if you're not going to defend yourself, then I'm going to defend you for you. The Bible says that he swings. I don't know, it's kind of a weird scripture. But the Bible says that it hacks off one of the soldier's ears. The book of John records that sliced off an ear and Jesus healed the ear or something like this. And random. But then Jesus rebukes Peter. You know what he's saying? He says, Peter, you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. He said, this is not the way it's going to be. In other words, I knew this was happening. I'm in control of my emotions, Peter. Get control of your emotions. How many of us have allowed bitterness and unforgiveness in our heart and had nothing to do with us? Why are you allowing yourself to experience the hurt, pain, bitterness over something that wasn't even about you? Now, I know this is a little bit different for a Sunday morning, but I believe God's trying to speak to someone today. What is he trying to speak to us today? He's trying to say we got to get rid of all that stuff that's in our heart, in our spirit. I believe God is speaking. God's moving. He's got something so great for this church, so great for us. But we can't allow any baggage, nothing inside of our heart, nothing inside of our spirit that will keep us from God. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to offend me. Nothing it's going to get me bitter. I got walls up. I got my guard against the enemy's devices. I'm staying in the church. I'm staying in the truth. And nothing you do is going to change it. Someone's got to make up their mind that I'm in this thing to the end, that I'm going to heaven. I don't care what it takes. I don't care who I got to forgive. I don't care what I got to forget, but I've got to make it to heaven. I'm not letting pain take me to hell. Hear me. I'm not letting bitterness take me to hell. Bible says do not be easily offended. There's got we got to grow some tough skin if we're going to make it in 2021. Hear me with all the offense that's in the world, everybody getting hurt by this or that. I'm telling you the children of God got to be able to brush all that stuff off and say I'm going to make it no matter what. Say what you want to say about me, criticize me, ridicule me, but I'm going to make it to heaven.
I'm going to make it. My kids are going to make it. My family's going to make it. I'm going to get there no matter what I have to do. Let this mind be in you. Someone lift your hands, lift your voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. I'm telling the church today, there's got to be something made up in our minds that says no matter what, I'm not getting offended. Hear me. You say what you want to say, I'm not getting offended. Hurt me if you want, betray me if you want, ridicule, I'm not getting offended. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, this betrayer, Judas came to him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And he called him friend. He called him friend. In other words, he didn't allow unforgiveness to seep into his spirit and his heart. He didn't allow himself to get offended by anything. Nothing. Why? Because he knew that if he did, this is what I truly believe, he knew that if he did, he would cease being the Messiah. So much was riding on his attitude, on his spirit. And it wasn't that God, this is often a miscalculation theologically, that somehow people think that Jesus could not have sinned. That's not right. That's not right. Jesus could have sinned. Difference is he didn't sin. There's always an argument like, oh, could Jesus have sinned? Of course he could have sinned. Otherwise, this isn't really a temptation. Now think about it. You know, if you can't make a choice, then it's not really a choice. No, Jesus decided not to get offended. As you know, you can choose to forgive. Did you know? It's in your court. It's your choice. You can choose to forgive. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I know I don't. I know I don't. And trust me, you have every right to be hurt. Sure you do. You have every right for it to hurt. You, you have pain. Sure you do. No one's excusing the pain. No one's excusing the hurt. No one's excusing what was done to you or against you. But hear me. Hear me. You have all the power to forgive. You have all the power of your accuser, your betrayer, your torturer, your molester. You have all the power. How? By forgiving. Let this mind be in you. You know what happens when you don't forgive? You surrender the power to your accuser, to your betrayer, to your molester. To the person that did you harm. How is that? What? That doesn't make any sense. Sure it does. Because even after the event happened, you're still wounded and holding on to it. And every single day, I feel it in the spirit, church. Every single day, it follows you around. Every single decision you make, you, it's colored or filtered through that pain, through that hurt, through that bitterness. You know how you get rid of it? You forgive. You say, God, I give it all over to you. You say, but wait a minute. Where's the justice in that? Where is the righteousness in that? Where, where is the, how is that 
right. That can't be right. How is it they never will pay for what they did? There's no justice. And in this world, we're crying for justice. It's a constant thing in our society. And to be honest with you, it's true. There is a lack of justice in our society. You want to know why that is? Because there's a lack of righteousness in our society. But the Bible says that God is just. And one of these days, he's going to right all those wrongs. The Bible says that the white throne judgment, every single person, small and great, that has not been washed in the blood of Christ is going to stand before God and going to answer for every sin that they've committed. That's what the Bible says. One of these days, he's going to make all those things right. He's going to bring justice into the world. We're clamoring for justice, and it's true as human beings because we recognize we recognize in our own selves that there is a lack of justice in the world, that, that somehow people are not suffering or somehow they're not answering for the suffering that they're causing. But can I tell you, church, that they might not be today, but they will in the future. See, when you trust God and you trust this book that I'm preaching out of this morning, that God is just, that those judgments are not going to be delayed forever. But one day, he's going to right all those wrongs. And my God and my God keeps good records. Hear me. He keeps good records of what you do, of what I do. Uh, and I told this to you before, but all of us that you've been serving in the church, you've been working hard, you've been giving your life to the ministry, and you think no one else notices. Uh-uh, friend. My God keeps good records. And one day... He's going to set the accounts. He's going to settle all the accounts. We, we see this picture that somehow there will be no justice. No, friend. No, friend. My God is the judge. He will avenge, Romans says. Uh, you, it's not ours to fix, to make right. No, no, no. It's God's. And Jesus is there. The only response that he could give was forgiveness. Why? Because so much was riding on that response. And can I tell you, the church, this morning, I'm coming to a close here in a moment. Can I tell you this morning, so much is riding on your response. So much is riding on your response to hurt, bitterness, pain, things that were done to you, done to your, your kids, that's a hard one. That's a hard one, right? When people are evil to your children, that's, that's tough. That's when you want to just get involved. Mama bear comes out, you know. Dad rises up, anger comes out. But how are you going to respond? Yes, you can be hurt. Yes, you can feel that pain. But I'm telling you, how you respond matters. We need to choose forgiveness. We need to choose not to be offended. We need to choose to allow people to change. We need to choose grief over anger. Story in the scripture, it's in my notes here. I'm a parable. You have that scripture there? I think it's in Matthew. I think it's in Matthew. Let's, let's turn our Bibles, book of Matthew here. 
Let me go back to my notes here so I have it. Praise God. You have your Bibles? Open up to Matthew with me. There's a parable here, and I'm going I'm to, I said I was going to close. I'll close in a little bit. <laughs> Matthew 18. My wife keeps telling me, quit saying that you're going too long, you know. So, can I go a little bit longer? Are we good? <laughs> she's, like, she's like, no, I'm pregnant. Get out, let's go. <laughs> All right, one more, one more, and I'll be done. Uh, one more, I'll be done. I've only been going for 40 minutes. That, that's long enough. Yeah, this will be it. This will be it. Sister Shauna can come to the keyboard. We'll, we'll wrap it up. Matthew 18. There's a story here. I'm not going to read the whole parable, but the parable talks about a man that is forgiven a massive debt. I wish I had time to go through all this because it's incredible. This man is forgiven a massive debt. I believe the Bible even says of 100 talents. This was a massive number, probably the equivalent today of, uh, did, I, did I lose my mic? Here we go. Uh, probably the equivalent today of a million dollars. He's forgiven. Then the Bible says, after he's forgiven his debt, he goes and gets mad at a servant that owed him a debt. And But this servant only owed him a day's worth of wage. The Bible says 100 denarii. Somehow the man that was forgiven the massive debt couldn't find in his heart to forgive someone a much smaller debt. The point of the parable that Jesus is trying to say is, after everything I've done for you, how can you not forgive? After everything God has forgiven us of, how can we not forgive someone else? Oh, preacher, you don't know what happened. I, I don't, I don't, I know. But I'm telling you, everything that's happened to us, against us, we've done or someone else has done church it pales in comparison to what God put on his shoulders for us and if we can't forgive our sons our daughters our brothers our sisters our moms if we can't forgive how can we expect God to forgive us this is the bottom line we cannot be right with God without forgiveness. We cannot be right with God with unforgiveness in our heart and our spirit. We will stop revival in our family, in our minds, in our spirits with unforgiveness in our hearts. You'll stop God from moving on your kids. And hear me, there's a lot riding on this response. Your family's watching you. Your friends are watching you. Your kids are watching you. Your wife is watching you. Your husband is watching you. There's a lot riding on this decision. There's a lot riding on your response. The man was forgiven so much, yet he couldn't and he refused to forgive over something so small. The author C.S. Lewis wrote it like this, to be a Christian means to, for, to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. As much as God has forgiven us, that's how much we have to forgive. 
What are you talking about, preacher? I'm talking about letting this mind of Jesus, the mind of Christ, that refused to be offended, that refused to harbor unforgiveness, that refused to allow bitterness to enter into your spirit. I'm telling us, church, let that mind be in us. Let that spirit, let it, let it be said that at Life Church, there's no one offended here. Let it be said that there will be no offense at Life Church. You can come, you can cast your cares on the altar. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to speak evil against you. Ah, there's so much more I want to say here. The Bible talks about a woman with an alabaster box. She takes that alabaster box, she breaks it, and washes the feet of Jesus with that ointment. Mixture of tears and oil. The Bible says that she dried it with her hair. Luke chapter 7, verse 47. The Pharisees, they looked out at her. They said, oh, this is ridiculous. She's wasting all that ointment. Washing Jesus' feet. That's, that's, come on. That's unnecessary. That's over the top. That's all for show. That's all self. That's all. This is what the religious leaders were saying, you know. And even Judas in another passage said, Lord, shouldn't this have been sold for, you know, to be given to the poor or something like that? Right, Judas. That's what was in your heart. But then Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, Luke 7, 47. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. See, only Pharisees criticize worship. Only Pharisees criticize people who express their love for God in a great way. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But God has done so much for me. I love God more than anything else in this world. Friend, I don't know about you, but I was lost in sin when Jesus found me. I was lost in this world when Jesus decided he loved me so much. He's done so much for me. There's no way I could ever harbor unforgiveness for someone after what God did for me. There's never any way I could look at someone that comes to church strung out on drugs, confused in life, marriages, multiple marriages broken. No way I could ever look at them and say, oh, wow, your life's messed up. I might have a suit on today. But friend, I wasn't saved like this. I've made my share of mistakes. I've went through that valley. I've been down that road. And there's plenty of us today. We know what God did for us. So how could we ever hold on to that unforgiveness? It's open the doors as wide as you can get them and say, whoever wants to come and drink of the well, let them come and drink. There's future. There's hope. There's anointing. There's blessing for you. Let's all stand in the house of the Lord today. 
Jesus, I love you, Lord. Would you lift your hands right now and lift your voice? Uh, and would you just tell the Lord, Lord, I love you. Lord, I'm so thankful for the cross. I'm so thankful for Calvary. I'm so thankful for the blood. Oh, In closing today, in the story in Matthew 18, the Bible says that the servants of the ruler, they were following the man that had been forgiven. And when the man that had been forgiven of the massive debt went and tried to have the individual that owed him, the servant, that owed him the debt thrown into prison. The Bible says that the servants of the master, it says they were grieved. Everyone say grieved. You know what that means? They were saddened. You know why they were saddened? Because the man made the wrong choice. They were grieved because he had an opportunity to do the right thing, to make the right choice and he chose wrong you and I you've heard it said before and it's absolutely true there is no time in our life when we are more Christ like that's what the word Christian means there's no time in our life when we are more like Christ than when we're forgiving people when you forgive It is the time where you are most embodying everything that Jesus was preaching when you forgive. When you don't have to, when you could harbor that anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and you still say, I forgive. I'm letting it go. I'm giving it over to God. You are never more, you and I are never more like Christ. So what am I saying this morning? I'm saying let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's choose to be like him in every way, guarding our hearts, our minds, our spirit from the work of the enemy. And making up our mind not to be offended. You can choose it today. Some of you, it's your first time here at Life Church. I know it's a little bit different message, but this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went to the cross for you and I so that we could have hope, even through betrayal, even through people who sought to kill him and successfully killed him. An innocent man. You know why he did it? Because he loved us. He loved us. And I see so many visitors here. I'm so glad that you're here. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost today. It is his spirit that lives inside. You can, you can make a decision to follow after and embody the teachings of Christ today by being filled with his presence, 
filled with His Spirit and being baptized in the name of Jesus. You can do that today. As a matter of fact, if you haven't been baptized, it's ready. We can baptize you right now, right after this altar call. You can make up your mind today. From this moment on, it's going to be different. From this moment on, I'm going to make a change. And there's some of us that we've been coming to church for a long time. But we've been carrying something with us. I'm challenging you today. Bring it with you to this altar. Bring it to the altar. For some of you, you might even need to physically hold your hands out in representation. Place it at an altar. There's a reason. I think it means something when we lift our hands. Almost like we're carrying a package and just kind of releasing it out to God. God, I'm giving you my pain, giving you my hurt. And I'm forgiving right now. I'm letting go right now. I'm not carrying this anymore. The power, it's up to you. It's in your court. It's your decision to make. Every eye closed right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray. God, I pray every person that's in this service, that they've been touched, convicted, moved by your spirit, by your power, and by your word. I pray, God, that we would make the decision to follow after you. Make a decision, God, to let go of all the unforgiveness, all the hurt, all the pain. God, that we would place ourselves on the altar. God, that we wouldn't let anything separate us from you. God, that we wouldn't carry any of that baggage any longer on our journey. God, but that we would make up our mind, we're going to make it to heaven. Our families are going to make it to heaven. We're going to have a move of your spirit in our lives, in our homes. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is what I want to do right now. I want you to come. We're going to pray together. If you would like people to pray with you, we have a, a prayer team. I'm inviting you to come. Maybe if you're ready to get baptized or maybe you want to know more about baptism or the Holy Ghost, I want you to come as well today. If you're sitting by someone that, that is a guest or visitor, why don't you just reach over and just ask them if they want to come to the altar. And this is what I want to do. I want all of us to come this morning. I want all of us to come and say, God, whatever you want for my life, whatever you want for my family, whatever's in my heart that doesn't belong, God, I want you to take it all. I surrender everything to you. Hallelujah. Would you come this morning? The altar's open. Go ahead and put your mask on. Go ahead and stay socially distant, but I want you to come. I want you to come. That's it. That's it. I want you to come right now. And as you come, there's a prayer team. They're going to link up with you. Don't be shy. Come on in. Don't be shy. Come on in. There's a prayer team. They can pray with you. We believe God can, can give you the Holy Ghost. If you need the Holy Ghost, we'll pray with you for that. If you're ready to get baptized, the baptismal's ready. We'll baptize you today. Would you come? Would you come? Come on, don't be shy. Don't be afraid. And when you come, I want you to come down, lift your hands, lift your voice, uh, and begin to call out to the Lord. Prayer team, please find someone to pray with right now. Let's worship the Lord today. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending record.
chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves and denied. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Love of God, oh, fast. 